Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Title Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, and right from the onset, I want to ask you to please forgive me because I'm still uh, quite ill, and I get into these coughing jags and get very congested, so um, I'm going to try to get through today's show and not be a burden to you and try to bring you some content of quality and I am going to be using the pause button. The pause button on this soundboard, I I guess the way they had it designed, it was never, I never found it to work too easily, but I either have, when I start to cough, I either have to kill the mic, which means that you have dead air, and then, or I have to hit this pause button, and sometimes this pause button doesn't work too well, but I'm going to do my best to try to get through this, and I ask you to please forgive me. And uh, I did not want to not to do a show. I've never missed a show in the history of Idle Chatter, and I didn't want that not to happen. So I'm going to be sucking some cough drops. Um, they end up sticking to the roof of my mouth. So it's uh, well, one I one just stuck to my tongue. So it's um, it's like a nightmare here in Cat's Farm Road. But anyway, I thank you again for your for your loyalty and your um, and your your forgiveness to me for being for, for providing a, a terrible delivery. And yesterday, well, doesn't make that much difference to you because God knows when you're going to listen to this. But I did rec- finally have the opportunity to record another episode of my on the road podcast, and I did that with my dear friend Bob Ida, and I've wanted Bob to be on the show for a long, long time. When life just got in the way, I have two very, very dear friends, uh, Bob Ida being one of them, and then Gene Worst, uh, who I know from high school, and uh, he's a dear, dear, dear brother friend, so he's like my brother, even closer than a friend, so uh, those are my, my two, the two blessings in my life, those friendships. You know, in life, you have a lot of acquaintances, but not many friends, but Gene Worst and Bob Ida are truly, truly friends of mine, and hopefully, God willing, that they consider me a friend of theirs also, and a brother. So, but I finally got a chance to record Bob, and uh, I feel so bad because after everything that happened, all of the the delays we had and the false starts of recording that show, uh, we were supposed to do it a while back, and his brother passed away unexpectedly, and his wife got sick, and then I got into harvest, and then my sister had a heart attack, and just, you know, life happens. We did it, but I was so sick with this respiratory, whatever I have, and coughing and everything, and uh, I kind of messed up his show. But hopefully, if you get a chance, listen to it. It's On the Road to Bob Ida, a very, very inspiring story of uh, how he's, he started as a 10-year-old boy in the streets of Brooklyn, New York, and he saw his first hot rod. And at 10 years old, he said, I could do better than that. And he went on a quest to build a hot rod. And by the time he was 14, he had built his first first hot rod. And uh, just a great story and an inspiration to all. But sadly, and I didn't say this on that show, and I should have possibly, but you know, I'm the forever optimist, and you cannot not be an optimist if you're washed in the blood of Christ. I mean, that's it. I mean, you're you're, you're born again. You're saved. You're, you're going to live with Christ for eternity. So, so you have to. So you are an optimist because you trust in the Lord. But in a secular sense of that term, I try to be an optimist. But I don't think the world today, not just my beloved America and other countries, but I don't think the world today could produce a Bob Ida or a millions of other people like him in all different walks of life. And it was just the, and specifically here in America, the fifth, the late 50s into that post-World War II era in the 1960s was just a time that was very fertile for a young fertile mind to be able to take root and do things and and there was a, a time in the world that uh, there was nothing that we couldn't do as Americans. They put a man on the moon, built the St. Louis Arch. I mean, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, uh, General Motors came out with the uh, the mechanical heart. I mean, just just a fantastic, fantastic time. And uh, the pe- people were different. They would see a young man and they would help him out. So, 
So uh, I would love to be wrong, and I would love to have our country in the world today full of young Barbiters someplace, wherever they may be. And in 40, 50, 60 years from now, they tell their story. But like I said, sadly, I don't think that is the case, but God willing, God willing, I am wrong. So I'd be honored if you have the opportunity to listen to Bob's show and then, uh, you know, give us a shout out, send, you know, make a response. And uh, I know Bob would love to hear from you and um, I would love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, he's still, you know, he still can't believe, that's how humble he is, he still can't believe anybody would want to hear his story. So uh, enough with that. And then today, I, oh, I have to give a great big Cat Swamp Road shout out to uh, to Mr. Sam. Uh, let me make get his name correctly so I'll mess it up. Sam Woodward. He's out in York, Pennsylvania. He lives in York and he works for a company called Vivid Life Sciences and he gave me a pin in my map, but he gave it to me in person. He didn't give me the pin, but he came up to me. Uh, I was at the Growmark FS meeting, the growers meeting, the other day, and uh, he gave a presentation. Vivid Life, Vivid Life Sciences is a company that produces some biological products. And uh, I'm going to hopefully be working with Sam and integrating some of their product line into my sweet corn operation. And so, uh, but he came up to me, he gave a presentation and he came up to me and introduced himself. And lo and behold, he was a listener to my show on Sirius XM. So it's always, it's just so humbling when uh, somebody comes up to you and tells you that they listen to your show. You're not, you're not looking for that. Believe me, I am not, I am not looking for that. And I am not looking for, for accolades to have somebody come and tell me, I listen to your podcast or I listen to your show, but but quite the opposite. It it gives me the opportunity to say thank you in person to them, to that, to, that, to thank you in person. So for listening to my show, because that's really what it's all about, is that I want to be able to thank you, and I can't thank you if I don't know who you are. So he came up to me, we're going to have lunch, I'm going to get my soil test. My Another couple of weeks I'll be doing my soil test again, and I'll get him that soil test, and We'll go through it and see how we could possibly integrate some of his products from Vivid Life Sciences into uh, into my fertility program. So I am looking forward looking forward to that. And then in the special delivery section, I have a letter here from uh, from Patrick McGowan, and he's a longtime listener. I believe he listens on the radio show too. Uh, I know he, I should say I know he listens on the radio show. He may have converted over and listened to both because I do have some audience that listens to both, but regardless, and uh, he's asking me about an old outboard engine that was his mother's uncle's that he would like to restore. So I'm going to get into that letter. A little bit of a different letter, but that's what this show, excuse me, is all about. So God willing, my throat will be able to work. I uh, believe it or not, I had recorded, I got to this point, maybe a little bit longer in the show, four times, and I had to kill it because I started to cough, but I said a prayer, and I asked the good Lord to get me through this show without having to uh, go into coughing jags and my voice become all basically un, un, just unaudible, I don't even say unaudible, unlegible, you couldn't even tell what I'm saying, so God willing that will happen. And if it doesn't happen, I will do the best I can. And I just have to say that was not his will, the Lord's will, to allow me to get through this show without my voice cracking and going bad on me. But uh, the topic that I'm going to discuss today, and then again, I'm going to ask you to forgive me if I sound lackluster. It's only because of the way I feel, not because of my lack of passion. But I was always a magazine-aholic, and... And if you've probably heard me say that before, and I always love to read. And um, I just think that reading, not think I know, that reading is just such a wonderful, wonderful gift from God. And whatever your interest may be, I mean, it doesn't have to be about cars or farming or agriculture or engines or what have you. It could be about golf, it could be about baseball. It could be whatever. But there's something special about reading. And... Uh, the education, you know, and today everybody wants to watch videos. And 
There's, there's a component, an educational component from my perspective in a video because you could see something and, you know, the old adage, right, a picture is worth a thousand words. And if it's a moving picture, well, it describes something and, uh, and you know, lets you see something that you, that you would not be able to be very hard to describe. You can't tell somebody what the Grand Canyon looks like, but you can show, obviously show them a video or a picture of it and they could have an understanding of its majesty. And there was always videos and training, but they used to call them training films. And the thing is that years ago when you saw a training film, this training film was put together by someone of consequence. Uh, some a company put it together. They had some they had a person that's writing that that even if it's just a voiceover, which they usually were, and the, the script is written properly and it's um, it's in, it's correct and it's informative. It's not like YouTube today and Rumble and all those other places where somebody spends a hundred bucks and they get a camera and a microphone and all of a sudden they're an expert in this, that, and the other thing. But anyway, and also when you read, uh, it just brings a different level, different component of it. But I don't want to go. I'm not going to belabor that, but I was always a, I was always a reader, and I love magazines. And we used to get, I used to get so many magazines as a kid, and used to go to the store and buy magazines. Just loved them. It was so thrilling with those first of the month when those magazines came out. All the car magazines and the popular mechanics, the popular science, mechanics illustrated. You've all, if you've listened to my show, you've heard all of this before. But you know what was creative also back then, and I think it helped. Not only did those magazines introduce me to different concepts and to different technologies in in the automotive and agricultural community, because that's what I used to read. And engine when I say engineering, mechanics stuff, popular science, popular mechanics. And uh, not only did it introduce me to that, but back then specifically in the car magazines, is that even as a little boy, I used to marvel at the creativity of the people who wrote the ads for the car magazines. And the ads back then were of substance. And, I mean, today, I don't even know what a car mag magazine ad looks like. First, it was very little magazines, and if they have something they're talking about, I don't even know what they're talking about, because, it, I, I, I don't know, it's just whatever. But I remember back, there was a magazine I really loved, and it was called Road Test. And uh, I was very sad when they went out of business. And all they did was road tests. And I used to love road tests because road tests back then, they, they, I mean, they, the vehicle was used under the pretense of the person that would buy it. So in other words, they didn't take a, um, a Jeep, let's say a CJ Jeep back in the 670s and try to go on a road race course with them and tell you, this thing sucks, I can't go around a road race course. And you know, you know, in like in you know, like fashion, they didn't take a Corvette and try to hook it up to an Airstream trailer and tow it cross country. So it was used within the context of what the engineering design, the purpose of the vehicle was. But anyway, so like I said, they were very, very good magazine. But I remember, and I was never, a, I loved all cars, but I was never a true fan of foreign cars. I was always an American car guy. I always felt that there that, that was that patriotic aspect of being an American and buying American. And uh, and the same token, you know, and I've said this many times before, if you're a German, then you should have that same passion for your country and for your country's products. If you're an Italian, if you're a Swede, if you're a Canadian, uh, wherever you are, you should have that passion for your country's products. It doesn't mean that that you're knocking somebody else's, but you know, you just hold that, let's, you know, blood is thicker than water, right? I mean, that's your blood, those are your people, and that is your country, so you should be very proud of it. So I was always, like I said, I was always interested in every type of car, knew every type of car, was read about it, would look at it in the parking lot or on the street, what have you, and, uh, but in my heart always belonged to American, American vehicles and American machinery. But so, I'm getting at, so, it's 1975, it's probably like the fall of 74, and then the mag I get this road test magazine, and they had the Triumph TR7, and I always liked the TR6. I always thought that was a nice little car. I always liked, believe it or not, I liked the British Leyland cars. I liked the MGs and the Triumphs. I mean, like I said, I wasn't passionate about them as I was for a Ford or a Plymouth or something, but uh, but I, I liked them. I mean, uh, so... And I liked the TR6, and then for 
the 1975 model year. Triumph came out with a new sports car. The 74 was the last year of the of the uh, <coughs> the TR the TR6. I'm just going to take a little bit drink of water here. So hopefully, thank you. <coughs> and the TR7 was completely different. It was shaped like a wedge. Actually, it looked like a wedge. And there, I remember you know, getting back to the point how creative the ads were. And the tagline for the ad was, the shape of things to come. And uh, it was such a futuristic car, complete different body lines, complete everything than, than anybody had, not just Triumph. So, And I remember that stuck in my mind, the shape of things to come. And I thought, even as a young boy, I thought, how creative. And I didn't know the term wordsmith at that particular time. But, you know, I said, how creative. <coughs> Excuse me, how creative that was to uh, to have that ad copy. So why am I telling you all this? Because I'm, I'm telling you about the Triumph TR7. And no, I didn't buy one. But uh, probably wouldn't mind having one. I know a small block Ford fits in there really easy. But uh, today's show is going to be about the shape of things to come with gasoline engines. And uh, there's a lot of big changes on the horizon with gasoline engines for, for road vehicles, be it light duty, which are pickup trucks or what have you, vans, cars and SUVs. So uh, there's big changes coming very, very shortly down the pipe due to emission standards. And I think, and I'm not a conspiracist by no means. <coughs> Excuse me, but I'm not a conspiracist by no means. But I do believe that there's something going on. And uh, I think that something is going on is that I, th I think that they're trying to the the world is trying to uh, to push electric electric electrification, and I think that one of their their goals is to make it so complicated and expensive to create a gas an internal combustion engine, gasoline or diesel, that you can kind of force the public and force the marketplace into electrification. And hopefully, you know, then again, I'm wrong with that. That's something that, that I've missed the boat on. But it seems that out of nowhere, they're starting to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, rat ratchet up these emission standards on gasoline engines. So, you know, we were sitting back on the sideline and watching this happen to the diesel world and you know light duty diesels and larger diesels and say geez you know making these diesels so complicated so many so many controls on them and what have you so many this this emissions package that you know you really have to think twice about buying a diesel i mean if, if it's a, a semi tractor trailer or a farm tractor or what have you but then you know, obviously you have no choice but the thing is that when it comes to a lighter duty pickup, you know, a pickup truck, even a one ton pickup truck, there are great gas engines out there. Granted, they don't make the same torque that a diesel does, but certainly make two to three times the power that they did 40 years ago. And we managed to work our farms and our ranches and move the country forward with those engines. But now today we need a thousand foot pounds of torque out of a diesel. So. So I think, in my estimation, that I'm not going to use, the, I guess I'll use the word cabal, that this is a big master plan. And I do want to add a caveat to it. And the caveat, the caveat being that as a Christian, and I believe that we should be a good steward of God's creation and we should do everything we possibly can to be a good steward and to care for God's creation. So that means not to pollute, to be to, to be kind and respectful to animals and and nature. So 
but also at that one particular point, I think that that's, and I don't want to say that's stewardship, but that can very easily get out of control and and uh, just end up being counterproductive. So in essence, to make a simple analogy off the, off the, the, the top of my head here, is that so let's say god will god forbid that uh i'm just like like many like many regions of the of the i know of north america united states and canada still in this terrible terribly severe drought so if there was a mandate that came down from that said okay what we have to do is because of this severe drought and uh there's not a lot of groundwater and everything what we're going to do is we're going to make it illegal you know, this is like I said, this is metaphorically. We're going to make it illegal for you to drink any water. So you can't drink any water. We're going to go around and the, the the water Nazis are going to put a, a lock on everybody's pump, and you can't drink any water. You can't you can't water your animals and what have you. And then if and and that's and that's basically it. So you can't you can't drink any water because we got to save the water because we don't have much water. So ultimately, now everything dies. Now, so all the people die, all the animals die, everything dies. And they say, well, now you see, now if everybody dies, we got plenty of water. And I think that's, that may sound like a, a stupid analogy, and maybe it is because I'm not hitting on all cylinders. But, but you know, one particular point, when you start to bring these standards and tighten the noose around the public's neck so tight that they can't breathe, well, if they can't breathe and they died, and I guess part of every well i guess that's part the part of the problem is over right so uh but you know today's gasoline engines run so cleanly that for us to go and and institute all of these technologies and all of this expense and you know none of this expense or none of this comes without strings attached you know it's not it's not cheap and and also if you look at the if, if you look at the laws of thermodynamics, the first and second laws, and that basically an e- energy doesn't you know, become consumed, it just changes its phase. So for instance, like with these electric cars, oh, we're going to cr- run on electricity, zero pollution. But you know, anybody with a half a brain in it says, okay, that's fine, zero pollution, right? Coming out of the car, but who's, where's the power coming from that makes the electricity to power to, to charge the battery? What about the pollution that's made during the mining of the precious, or whatever they call them, I don't think they call them precious metals, the lithium and everything that they use to make the batteries. And what about getting rid of these batteries? And what happens when this guy crashes into an abutment on I-80 in an ice storm and the car gets split in half and the battery leaks? I mean, so, you know, there's really, there's, there's really, it, it really has to be a synergistic, synergistic approach. And they're not, they're not looking at it that way. And what they're doing now with the gasoline engines is, believe it or not, you know, I'm, I'm going to say we would chuckle. We wouldn't chuckle. We wouldn't laugh. But, you know, you looked at a guy with a diesel pickup truck, and I'm using that as an example because it's, of course, that could have a gasoline engine also, is that, you know, you had this whole whole suite of emission controls on it, forgetting about the, 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 the common rail injection, just just what we would call in-cylinder and after-cylinder treatments. <coughs> Excuse me. We so had EGR. Well, let's take EGR off the table because gasoline had that also. But you had, on a modern diesel, you had a, a DOC, which is a diesel oxidation catalyst. And then you had a DPF, which is a diesel particulate filter. And then you have what they call an SCR, selective catalytic reduction which controls oxides of nitrogen and that is where the the um, def diesel exhaust fluid is injected and that is to is to convert the oxides of nitrogen so what happens now is that on a gasoline engine prior to and i'm not saying this is happening tomorrow but it's happening and it's happening quicker than you think and it's happening in some sections of europe so you know it's not going to be long till it gets its way here. Is that they're starting to put particulate filters on gasoline engines, 
And instead of being called diesel particulate filters, they're called gasoline particulate filters. So whereas prior to that, we would have an EGR system. In not every application, like none of my engines, newer engines, have EGR. <coughs> They're able to control oxides of nitrogen with overlap of the cam with cam timing. And so you're going to have an EGR system. You're going to have a, a catalytic converter, which is usually a three-way catalyst. And now you're going to have a gasoline particulate filter. Now, interestingly enough, now particulate matter is very easy for you to identify on a diesel engine. It's the soot. And the soot that you would see coming out of an older diesel engine is what they would call PM particulate matter. And a newer diesel engine, you don't see that because they're managing the combustion so much better but there is still particulates coming out and the particulates are smaller and not visible to the eye unless you have some young farm kid there's going to overfuel it and roll coal but which is blowing for those who are not familiar which is overfueling the engine blowing clouds of black smoke <coughs> so the thing is that on a gasoline engine you don't see that and, you know, just because in life you don't see something does not mean it's not there. and doesn't mean it's not a detriment. But my contention is that you're going to put this, this gasoline particulate filter into production and add a lot of expense and complexity to this vehicle and then to, to clean up something get back getting back to my analogy well i'm not going to take any water drink a glass of water because we're in a drought well you know you say i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do laundry or i'm not going to bathe as often or i'm not going to wash my car i'm not gonna right those are all things that you could say okay fine i'm going to cut back on those substantially but to say that i'm not going to drink a glass of water because we're in a drought to me is akin like saying well what are we going to look for? And I think what they do, what, what can we look for to clean up this gasoline engine, which is so, so clean to begin with right now. And for the past 20 or 25 years, and they're much cleaner now. I mean, what, 20 or 25 years ago? What I mean clean, meaning the tailpipe emissions, is that, you know, there's in lots of areas of the country where there was high smog and high levels of pollution, that if you drove a new car through there, the air coming out of the tailpipe, or what was coming out of the tailpipe was actually cleaner than the air that was being ingested in the engine. So they were actually cleaning the air as they were driving around. And now to come over there and say, we're going to have this gasoline particulate filter on there, and it's going to you know, store these particulates, and then we're going to try to burn them off and, and what have you. It almost seems, as I started to say, and I sidetracked myself, it almost seems that they're looking for ways to complicate this to get the public and the auto companies just so like well let's forget about it. let's just put an electric battery in there and put a plug in the fender and and we'll go from there and 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 not worry about it right so i think it's it's uh, <coughs> excuse me i think it's i think it's a little bit more going on than meets the eye but interestingly now they claim <clears throat> that the reason that they have to do this is because the gasoline direct injection engines, which were supposed to be the savior of the world, the GDI engines, and for those of you not familiar, they're the ones that inject the fuel right into the combustion chamber, a la like a diesel versus a gas port fuel injection, which injects the fuel on the back side, the intake manifold side of the valve, intake valve, is that they're creating high particulate matter or much higher particulate matter than a, uh, than a port inject engine. So here it is, you know, we're on this merry-go-round right now, and they're saying, well, okay, we got to go to GDI, and almost every company went to GDI and... And it's like anything, it's good and it's bad, but now this whole GDI program is bringing up these particulate issues, and now, well, now we got to put a particulate trap on, on there, which is what a filter is, it's a trap. 
and we have to do all of this. So the thing is that, and now they're saying, well, because of this particular trap, we have to now redesign all of the engine oils because the engine oils are not going to be compatible with this gasoline particulate filter. And you say, well, what does oil have to do? Well, there's, there's always some some level of combustion that gets into the oil that gets past the ring package, even if you were to say, well, I have zero leakage. But there always is something, and then as the engine gets older, you may push some oil past the rings, push some oil past the valve guides, and then that becomes a problem. So now we have to redesign excuse me, redesign all this engine oil and God knows what problems that's going to be. So, but you know, I don't want you to interpret this of me saying that we should not push the envelope, that, uh, that you know, that, that, that we shouldn't be exploring more and, and doing more and looking to make things better and more efficient. And, and historically, if you look backwards in the auto industry, using that is that every time that the government put an emissions mandate on that the auto companies from every place always kind of retreated and the engines ran poorly and then they were able to engineer their way through that and then break through and then give us better performance than we've ever had before from a smaller package and then meet that standard but at one particular point from my perspective is you're going to raise the bar so high that no one could meet it and if you do meet it the cost is going to be so absorb exorbitant and there's so many strings attached to this course to that to that to, to, that that it, it, it's just it just it just puts puts the whole thing out of business and changes the complexion of the whole of the whole world and honestly that's what i think that they're looking to do but why i'm saying this to you is that it's it's an fyi it's nothing of consequence today, but uh, I would keep my ear to the railroad track, and I don't think you're going to have to worry about the next year, two years, or three years, but I know the majority of the audience is like me. You keep stuff for three, four, five hundred thousand 500,000 miles. Most farmers keep stuff around for a long time, and if when you start to see some of these 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 systems enter the mainstream of the gasoline engine world pickup trucks cars suvs then you may want to say to yourself well now's the time for me to buy something that doesn't have that emission strategy on it and that happened back it happened in agricultural community with farm tractors and 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 combines but also on the on the on-road semi trucks is that like two if i remember correctly 2007 was the last year before they really stepped up the game as far as the emission strategies were concerned and those 2007 trucks are still in demand today and a lot of people went and what pulled forward and bought a truck because of that and you know and, and, and i'll just i was thinking about my good friend gene my, my brother there and uh, back in 1985 uh, excuse me, 80, yeah, 80, well, 86, he bought a leftover 85 Mustang GT brand new out here in Washington, New Jersey, Smith Ford. And uh, because he didn't want the 86 with the carburetor. So, you know, that's not a far-fetched technology, that's not a far-fetched mindset, I should say. So even though you're not, this is not going to happen today or tomorrow, but you need to really keep your eyes, ears to the railroad track and see what's coming down the pipe. Because if you say to yourself, well, I... You want to buy something and keep it for 10 years or three four hundred thousand miles then you may want to step up to the plate and pull the trigger on a purchase before all this malarkey and all this garbage happens and uh just brings with it on a whole host of of problems and issues that are not 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 worth you know the the the, the end just does not justify the means I mean, for you to get this this tiny little bit of particulate out of the exhaust, and then uh, and go through all of this complexity for it to me is uh, is ridiculous. And like I say, this is my, my opinion. Please feel free to disagree with me. 
is that it almost seems that there is an agenda driven and the agenda is to to weaken our country uh, and to make us uh, this green movement and say, well, tell everybody, well, this is green and electric cars are green and this is green and everything is green. And then yeah, it's green up front and, the, and at the back, it's not green. I don't mean at the back of the vehicle, but what they're doing behind the scenes, you know, it's like uh, having a product that comes out and they put it in a beautiful box and it's, oh, well, look at this beautiful printing, beautiful box, beautiful product, whatever the product may be. And it's, you know, get they get a lot of money for it. But you don't see behind the scenes where the thing is made in a sweatshop and they get the people, t- you know, chained to a machine and uh, and they're, they're screaming and yelling at them and they're treating them terribly in the conditions that they're working in. But when it comes in a box, it looks beautiful, right? And I really think that's what they're doing here is they're trying to, to make these gasoline engines so so complicated, so hard to, to reach the bar that the companies and the people just give up on it and say, okay, we surrender. And unlike Triumph, with the shape of things to come, which was actually good, I don't honestly believe that the shape of this to come is going to be that good. And uh, so we will yet to be seen what happens with that. But I wanted to tell you about it, and that was the the crux of today's show but you know keep you know, keep in mind that i'm not the type of person who says the world is going to hell in a handbasket because i mean even though i believe that it is to a certain extent but i always have like i said i'm the forever optimist that by god's grace that the that the, that things can be changed around and, and i'm not saying we can't do things better and do things more efficiently and do them cleaner and i'm not saying that whatsoever but to legislate for the sake of legislation, um, to me, just shows an agenda. And you know, I'll make a, a simple analogy. When I had my 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 engine shop, Precise Automotive and Marine, you'd have somebody who would come to, they'd bring your car, and and there was a certain mindset within that community uh, of that if it came from the factory, it was the factory part. They wanted to take it off and put an aftermarket part on, and for the most part. I would say 99% of the time, whatever they were putting on was a thousand times worse than what was on there from the factory. And what I'm saying is a performance part. So they would come and say, well, I want to get rid of this, or I want to put this on there. That's, you know, And I would say, to them, you really got to cherry pick what you're pulling off this engine. Because, <coughs> oh, excuse me, everything that came from the factory, you can't say was poor performing. Well, yeah, maybe the exhaust manifold was, so you may want to put a header on it, but that doesn't mean that the intake manifold was not any good, or or the uh, cylinder head was not any good, or what have you. May well the camshaft. Well, the camshaft wasn't that aggressive, so yes, you could put a different. So the thing was, there was a mindset that they just had to change everything because they felt that the factory parts were not up to what they felt that they should be as far as performance is concerned it's funny because <laughs> i was talking excuse me i was talking about bob ida and uh for those of you who don't listen to this, listen to that wrote that pod that podcast on the road he was a young kid and he wanted to buy a 409 brand new 409 chevy engine they had a crate engine back then i didn't even know that a 409 409 409 crate engine uh two four carburetors but he said the carburetors didn't come on it was 752 dollars and then so he bought this crate engine and he would race it and then he wanted to put a blower on it so anyway then he put a blower on it and he said the thing ran fantastically it never broke or whatever he said and he said right in the show he says once i started to use hot rod parts that's when everything started to break. When they had the GM crank, the GM pistons, the GM rods, <coughs> excuse me, GM valve train with the blowers that the thing was setting records. And then after that, everything went to, started to break all the time. So, hey, is this the shape of things to come? We will see. But I just wanted to tell you about it. There's big changes. 
<laughs> Excuse me, coming. I just took a cough drop with gasoline engines. Uh, the fuels, the emission package, and I don't think that it's going to be good. So that is that, and uh, it's going to be time now for our special delivery letter. But first, I'm going to do is bring Tex Rubinowitz in here from Ripsaw Records. Come on in, Tex. Alrighty, text. Thank you so much. So now we're going to have our letter here from uh, Patrick McGowan, and I'll read it to you. I hope they can get through it. And it says, "Hi Ray, it's been a little while since I emailed, so I thought I should send you a note and let you know I quite enjoyed the show today." And he's referencing the radio show on Sirius XM, the episode. And since there's an inherent delay, by the time you're going to get this or hear this, is that I, I did an episode the other day on Sirius XM Rural Radio, and, uh, con- well, con- telling you that, we're saying that a diesel is not for everyone, and I was trying to convince some people not to invest in a diesel. So anyway, but that's what his show is talking about. I also hope that you are over your call very soon, okay, but we won't go into that. I like the topic today. I am not a farmer, but he's not a farmer currently, but he comes from a farm background. So, so like Patrick, you, you come from the soil in your hands and your parents have a farm in Indiana, so you're not a farmer by trade anymore, but that doesn't count, all right? You still come from the soil. And uh, from our past discussions, you may recall I've mostly had diesel vehicles, and I am planning to continue that tradition when I get my next truck. And this was an excellent, and your show was an excellent lesson. I am probably also approaching vehicle decisions with some emotion. And I appreciate your engineer's rationality behind this and other topics to check on my viewpoint. As badly as I want a new truck right now, the situation is just not favorable, so I'm content to wait. So now here is this question. I have a different new challenge in my life that I thought I would see if you had any advice. My parents have an outboard motor that belonged to my mom's uncle, Ed, and has been in my parents' tool shed for approximately 35 years. I have recently taken up fishing again, and I am interested in seeing if I can restore this to serviceability, and I am curious if it is possible. It's mostly sentimental that I would like to use that motor to go fishing. Uncle Ed was a wonderful person who was kind and generous. He worked as a machinist in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for the same company for many years and served in the Pacific Theater in World War II. He had a great sense of humor and enjoyed bowling and fishing, and I thought it would be fun if I could use that motor. Is it, a, is it an entirely crazy prospect? I haven't seen it yet, but my, but next, but my next visit with my parents... I'm going to take a look at it. I can imagine that corrosion may be an issue, and I don't mind spending some time and money to overhaul it. What do you think best regards Patrick? So Patrick, I want to thank you so much once again for listening and for reaching out to me with this letter. So the first thing that I'm going to come and say to you is that keep in mind that the engine may not be as bad as you think it is, I mean, I've seen stuff that sat, I mean, when I was a kid, we had our old Oliver track that I was sat, well, it wasn't 35 years, but I don't know, it probably sat for 20 years, and uh, the the pistons, uh, the rings, because they were, they were cast iron rings back then, they rusted to the cylinder walls and everything, and then my dad and I, we took the oil pan off, and we took a block of wood, or actually my dad had me to a block of wood. He said, you crawl underneath that block of wood. And the tractor was up high. It was an Oliver Row Crop 70, hot paw tricycle. But gone and we took a block of wood and we took the spark plug. Well, we took the spark plugs out. We, at the time, it was liquid wrench. We poured liquid wrench into the cylinders and let it sit there for a couple of days. 
on top of the pistons. Just and then we took a block of wood. My dad had me go underneath it, take the oil pan off, take a block of wood, and, and hit the hit the the pistons that were the connecting rod, and break the pistons loose. And uh, so the engine would turn, and that actually actually started to turn quite easier between the the, the liquid wrench and the hitting with a block of wood and the hammer and uh, put it all back together we took the carburetor apart cleaned out all the varnish this is back years ago uh somehow we washed out the gas tank i mean they didn't have all those products like they had today i don't know how my maybe we washed out with kerosene i don't remember and washed that and cleaned everything up and uh, went into the magneto had american bosch magneto went into the magneto and cleaned up the points they were corroded we filed them my father showed me how to file the points and regap them and then we did buy a new battery it was a six volt battery we went to the john dealer the john deere dealer in town even though it was a oliver it made no difference and we put a brand new john deere six volt battery and we put it in there and uh we got some yeah, we got gas to come into the carburetor bowl and uh we cranked it over we pulled out the choke and cranked over i don't think the thing i don't think the thing cranked uh to 720 degrees and boom, that continental engine started up and in like fashion we had a lincoln zephyr that we sat for about 40 years and then eventually got rid of that v12 lincoln zephyr it's a story unto itself and a friend of mine the other side of town gene bought that gene my brother a different gene locally here and he bought it and he spent about two hours working on it and the lincoln started right up he ran it off a five gallon gas can, i mean a one gallon gas can uh started right up there was a guy who came to see it running that gene who had a new mercedes at the time it's about 15 years ago the lincoln was quieter and didn't run for 40 years than the damn new mercedes but then the exhaust caught fire in the Lincoln because the the the, uh, the um, <laughs> muffler was full of mouse nests, and they they took an old mattress and then they weren't in there anymore. Thank God the mice so they so had to cut the exhaust off. So anyway, so Patrick, you know this may very well not be the, the project that you think it's going to be, and uh, so so you'll keep that in mind. But the other thing I do want to say is that anything can be restored anything can be made to run again it's just the amount of time and passion and effort that you want to put into it but my personal opinion to you is that i would do what you need to do to honor your mom's uncle and to take that engine and then restore it and use it and i would also actually carry the restoration after the mechanical aspect that was done I would carry the restoration to the next level and I would make it visually restored. So if it needs to be repainted or what have you, <coughs> excuse me, repaint, repaint it. And then when you go out there and you go fishing, you could be truly using your mom's uncle's engine. And that is the, to me, that is the essence of life is that it's you know we can't we can't put a price tag on memories we can't put a put how much effort we want to put with memories and uh your your mom's uncle would be so proud that her nephew his nephew his 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 niece's son so many years later is using that engine to go fishing a passion that he had and then also so you have to look at it he uncle ed probably bought that engine brand new and i don't know what year it is you tell me what kind of engine it is, but it's two stroke four stroke it's regardless of what it is but he was probably so proud of that engine because it was coming from world war ii and that era was accomplishment to be able to buy something like that and people you know honored that and you know thankfully you know i was blessed by having my parents instill that in me is that you know i'm i'm i i cherish whatever the good lord has been able to provide whatever the lord has chosen to provide for me as far as material things are concerned and uh i think it's great so any way that i could help you with that please feel free to reach out to me you know the email address and everybody else has any thoughts on it and, and you know 
the you know that's also the essence of this show i mean please you know let me know what you're restoring let me know what you're working on i mean i ran into a guy the other day he's restoring an old amco brake lathe you know who would think of restoring that i just thought it was the coolest thing in the world because amco was like the cadillac of brake lathes and the first brake lathe that i ever used was an amco and uh, they were the industry standard and i said to myself boy would i love to get an old amco brake lathe and restore that and have it and i don't know what i would do with it but you know there's so many there's so much so many different aspects of of life that we could restore and turn the clock back on and i believe patrick that this engine this outboard motor would be a wonderful wonderful project and something that would bring a lot of pride to you in a conversation piece but like i say please to others whatever you're restoring whatever and even if you're not restoring if you ever you say man i'd love to restore one of these one day whether it's an old plow or or whatever or old drill press i mean even if you're not doing it please share that with me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and i would just love 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 to hear those stories so listen i want to thank you so much for 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 putting up with me today and my lackluster performance and uh once again it was a different type of show but that's that's really what this is about i don't just don't want to get into a mo into a into a rut i want to be able to uh, to serve you my audience and bring a transfer of knowledge and we'll see what happens with these gasoline engines but the, I, I don't think it's going to be good moving forward with these uh gasoline particulate filters and like i said i made it very simplistic and, and it's not just like you're putting a something in the exhaust and being done with it there's a lot of control logic there's a lot of things going on and hopefully that i am wrong i would love to be wrong and that not between the assault on the gasoline engine and the assault on the diesel engine is that they all want us riding around in a tesla and then they're going to tell us well you know global warming we can't be making all this electricity so we're gonna to have to brown it out what a chinese or something going to come and shoot send off an emp and shut the whole goddamn thing down which is not for too far from the truth of of the possibility of happening and i just think that it's not a healthy stance for our nation and any other nation in the world that is following suit would i think you're making yourself very vulnerable and you're you're basically uh putting your population your people of your particular nation in great risk by pushing these technologies or these theories under the guise of global warming or environment and then you go down if you if you believe me and i'll end with this like i said i'm a christian i love the lord's environment i love the lord's want to be a good steward whatever there's a lot of other things we could do to clean stuff up that are going to be much more effective than gasoline particulate filters and electric cars so let's leave it at that but thank you so much for tuning in and note the hot rod farmers pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and, and thanks for putting up with my coughing and god willing i'll be better next week bye bye